Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. It is great to be together. You know, one of the fun things about these holiday weekends is that um, we live in, a, in American culture today, very, very mobile, very transient sort of culture and society. A lot of, a lot of travel, a lot of movement. And so it's a rare thing in any church anymore to get the whole church family together at one time. But the closest we usually come in American church culture is on these holiday weekends. And it, so it's like a big family reunion when you get together. And it's fun. We're grateful that you're here today and, and part of this. And trust that the Lord's going to encourage you today. We're in Romans chapter 5. And if you need a Bible, our ushers have one. Maybe you left yours at home or in the car. So just wave at them. They'll be happy to pass you a Bible and turn over to Romans chapter 5. It'll also be on the screen, on the overhead. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. That's where we're going to begin this morning. I want to ask you a question, though, as we get started. What does the re- what does Resurrection Sunday mean? mean to you or Easter Sunday as some call it Um, what does it mean to you I I asked Elizabeth my 12 year old daughter I asked her that last night we had an interesting conversation around it but I remember when I was growing up I was little Easter Sunday Resurrection Sunday meant three things to me as a kid number one we were going to grandma and grandpa's always did they lived three and a half hours away but all the family was going to gather together up there. We we're going to go um, there for the weekend and we would be there and we would go to church. That's the second thing. We would all go to church together. And at church, there was going to be talk about the cross and about the, the tomb and about Jesus rising in. And there's going to be a lot of talk about sin and sin, sin being paid for. I remember that as a kid. And there would also be a lot of talk about our sin and feeling bad about our sin and all of that and, and all of that. It was part of the conversation. And then the third thing I remember is at some point over the weekend, there would be eggs and candy. All right. That that's what I remember. Now, today we've tried to spiritualize that a little bit. We call them resurrection eggs, uh, which I guess is, you know, whatever. Um, as long as I got chocolate in them, I don't care. Um, call them whatever you want. So. I want you to look at this verse. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. While we were enemies. Why were we enemies? Because we were in our sin. That was the message. It was, very, it was, it was hammered home to me clearly when I was a child and a young man growing up and all the way through my church life. We were enemies. We were reconciled to God. We were restored. We were brought back into relationship, fellowship. We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. By His resurrection. By the fact that He's not still in the grave. He's alive today. Now, I do not want to minimize the message of the fact that we, apart from Jesus Christ, we are in sin. 
We are alienated. We are enemies of God. And we have no hope. We have no hope of being reconciled to God. We have no hope of relationship with God. We have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. And sin is what stands in the way. And that's the first part of what Paul talks about in chapter 5, verse 10. He's saying we were enemies. We were in our sin. But God sent Jesus Christ to die. We, we celebrate that as we, we see Him on the cross and then taken down and put into the grave. He died for our sin so that we would be reconciled. But Paul doesn't stop there. And much of my understanding of Christianity stopped there for many years. It stopped with Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And that is true. And if you're here today and you've never believed that, I want to tell you, Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He did. Not just yours, mine. All of our sin. And you say, oh, what is sin? I'm not sure I have any. The Scripture says if we say we have no sin, we're not telling the truth. All right? But sin really is anything that violates the standard, the will of God, the law of God. All have sinned. Scripture says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That message is so vitally important. And today, before you leave, if you have never received Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross for the payment of your sin, then today is your day. Before you leave today, you find me, you find one of our prayer partners, and we'll designate them at the end of the service. Grab one of our ushers. You grab somebody and say, I don't know what Pastor Troy was talking about. I've never, I don't understand this believing Jesus to save me from my sins and what He did paid for. I don't understand that. We'd love to be able to take time and talk to you about that. But I want to talk to you about the part of the resurrection because see, the Apostle Paul doesn't separate these two thoughts. He talks about sin being paid for on the cross, but then he says, if that is true and we were reconciled because of that, how much more shall we be saved because He is alive? Saved? Well, that's what we're just talking about. We're saved from our sin. Please, for a minute, think beyond just being saved from your sin. Think with me. You say, well, Troy, that's important. It is very important. It's life-changingly important. But he didn't come and die and rise again just to save me from my sin. He wanted more. He intended more for that. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, how much more will we be saved? And this word, sozo, is used, I think, 54 times in the Gospel. It's all kinds of salvation it talks about. It talks about physical salvation from peril. It talks about salvation and healing salvation. It talks about salvation of spirit and soul. It's, it's used in all kinds of ways in the Gospel. But Jesus didn't come just to pay for my sin so that one day, one day when I die, I know I'm going to heaven and not going to hell because that's a better choice. Anybody with a brain says, I, if there's a heaven and a hell, I want to go to heaven, not to hell. And so He died, so I wouldn't, and, and that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm believing in Jesus. I have salvation. Salvation for my sin. One day I'm going to have... You know what it's like? It's like, you know what? One day I got this really great benefit package when I retire. Okay? And when I get to heaven, I, man, I'm going to be loaded with goodies. Alright? This benefit package is incredible. Right now I'm going to muddle through. Alright? Just kind of going through. But one day I got this really great benefit package. That is not the message of the resurrection. The message of the resurrection is the benefit package is for now. Not just when I die, but now. I want you to look at some of these verses with me. Skip down. We're in verse 10. Skip down a few verses with me to verse 17. Same chapter, verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, 
death reigned through that one man. Who's the one man he's talking about? Adam. Adam sinned and all were in Adam, so all have sinned. So because of Adam, we all have, tre- we have death rain down through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. Now notice what it says in here. Reign in life. Reign in life. Or as my friend often says, not get rained on by life. Reign in life. Reign, it means what you think it means. It means kingship. It means to reign, to rule in life. Now, sometimes we take these things and we interpret them the way we want them. Oh, that means all the good stuff that I want in this life. I'm going to reign in life. I mean, I'm going to have that car that I want and that home that I want and that job that I want and the vacations, all of that stuff. That's not the intent here. I'm going to reign in life. Whose life? Christ's life. Because He rose, He is alive. It says, but I died in Him, now I also reign in Him. Look with me at verse 18. It, it keeps on going here. It says, in verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification, just as if I'd never sinned. Justification, being made right with God. But does it stop there? Does it just focus on our sin being paid for and taken care of? Does, it, does the verse stop there? In your Bible, does it stop? No, it keeps on going. It says justification and life for all men. Is he just talking about life when I die and get to heaven? No. Why do we know that? Well, one of the reasons we know this is because a very famous verse, matter of fact, we've quoted a lot recently because the worship team's been teaching us that song, Life Defined, which is based on this verse, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. That's the death part. Nevertheless, I live in this life. Right now, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live by faith in the Son of God who who loved me and gave Himself for me, this, this life is qualitatively different than life as we know it. I feel completely inadequate today to express to you what's in my heart. Because the resurrection is so much more than we have ever imagined, it would, it would blow your mind if you ever begin to see it. It will blow your mind. It is not just, okay, my sins are forgiven and I go to heaven one day. That's great. That's wonderful. If that's all there was, that would be wonderful. But it's more. It's so much more than that. Look with me as he continues on. Look down in verse 21, the last verse in this passage, in this particular chapter. So that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life. When you hear the term eternal life, what do you think of? What comes to your mind when you hear eternal life? Never ending? Okay. A lot of times we think of heaven or we think of the afterlife because it goes on forever and ever. Eternal, literally, both theologically and just grammatically, eternal doesn't just mean life that goes on without end. It also means life that never had a beginning. Is there anyone that ever lived on this earth who didn't really have a beginning or an end, who had life that didn't begin or end? There was one, right? Jesus, right? He had life that never... Because He wasn't born like you and I. He wasn't born of a man. 
And in John 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word. He says, I was back there in the beginning with the Father and with the Spirit. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He always has been. He always, As S.M. Lockridge says, He always has been. He always will be. He didn't have a predecessor and He'll never have a successor. I've listened to that thing so many times I've almost memorized it. He had eternal life. The only one who lived on this earth who ever had eternal life until. Until. I want you to keep reading with me. Look down to the next chapter. Verse 6. And verse 4. For we were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. When Jesus died on the cross, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he, that he lived a perfect life, He died a perfect death for the sins of all mankind, including your sin and my sin. If you believe that, and you're willing to say, I believe that, and I receive, Lord, what You did, what I cannot do for myself, but I believe that. The Scripture says that when I believe, when I enter into Him, that when He died, I died. Obviously not physically. Because many of us have received Him, but we didn't die physically. But in a spiritual sense, when He died, I died. On the cross, I died with Him. You picture the cross in your mind? You see the cross there? Sometimes we can picture Jesus hanging on. Sometimes we see pictures of Jesus hanging on that cross. But do you ever see yourself hanging on that cross? Because that's what the Scripture says. He says that when He died, we died. Don't you know? When we're buried, therefore with Him by baptism into death, Matter of fact, when we have the when we do baptism, when someone believes in Jesus Christ and we baptize, it's a picture. Is what he's saying here? It's a picture of the fact that I am going down and dying. I'm being buried, if you will, with Jesus as He died on the cross and was laid in that grave. I'm buried with Him. All of my sin being paid for, because He paid for it. But notice what it goes on and says. In order that, see, there's more. In order that. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, this is resurrection, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. A whole different kind of life. Resurrection is as much about a new kind of life as it is about sin being paid for on the cross. But when I grew up, and most of my Christian life, I only got the first part. I didn't get the second part. And so here's what happened in my life. I don't know about yours, but here's what happened in my life because of that. My Christian life was a constant focus on sin. Because sin is the enemy. And by the way, I'm not minimizing that. Sin is awful. It kills everything it touches. It is treason against the holy God. All right? I am not minimizing sin. But my focus as a believer was always on sin. Don't do this sin. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry for that sin. Lord, help me not do that sin. I need to confess that sin. I need to get over this sin. Even though I know Jesus died on the cross for my sin, but surely there's something i got to do in here. And I feel bad, again, because my whole focus in life is about sin. And what is sin and what's not sin? Oh, Somebody says this is sin, but other people say, no, that's not a sin. And how do I know what's a sin? And God, what do you say is a sin? And it, all of life is about sin. 
And in the midst of focusing on sin, I never see a Savior. I just see sin. And, and then you, get, you begin to work and maybe you have a little more success in the, just your own strength and willpower. Okay, I overcome certain things I think are sin. And so I feel better about myself. And then I don't overcome them. Now I feel bad about myself. And then some of them I think, okay, Lord, really, you've got to help me with this. And I, I'm going to do better. I promise, Lord, you help me. And I promise I'm going to do better about my sin. Forgetting all the while, the very thing that was such a focus, I keep forgetting is that he died for it already. It's already paid for. Past, present, and future, by the way. Let me ask you a simple question. You say, I don't know if that's true, Troy. Then let me ask you a simple question. How long ago did Jesus die on a cross? Over 2,000 years, right? Were any of you alive? Some of us, I mean, even Art wasn't alive 2,000 years ago. All right? All right? I love you, brother. I love you. Nobody in here alive 2,000 years ago, which means every sin that you've ever committed was a future sin. Every one of them. If Jesus died 2,000 years ago, every sin that you and I have ever committed was a future sin. He died for all sin, past, present, future. Now, I, could, I tried to understand that and believe that in my Christian life. But the problem was, I kept doing things that I knew were sin. Or even if I wasn't convinced, there were other people that were convinced and they'd tell me they were sin. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you know some of those folks, right? You may not be convinced, but they really are. They're sure. And I struggle with this. And sometimes I would do better, and then I would feel good. I would feel spiritual. I'd feel like, God, I'm, I'm measuring up. I'm, I'm okay. Give me a gold star or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm good. And then I wouldn't do so well. And now I feel bad. Oh Lord, now I don't even want to talk to him. Now, now I got to go do some, I got to do some work and some penance here to be better, so I can actually come talk to God and tell him how bad I was. This is messed up thinking, don't you think? I'm telling you, there are millions and millions of people today who call themselves Christians who live this way. The resurrection tells a different story. It tells a different story. His life now becomes ours. Look at the end of verse 4 again with me. Chapter 6, verse 4. Um, he says, As Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a whole new way of life. By the way, where is this walking going to take place? Is this, is this walking down the streets of gold in heaven? Is this where the walking takes place? No, right here, right now. I'm going to walk in a new way. I'm going to live in a new way because I have a new life. I don't have my... I want to tell you a secret. You want a secret? Can I tell you a secret? You have divine life if you are in Jesus Christ. Because His life is now your life. He went to the cross and He died so that we wouldn't have our old life. We would have His life. His divine life. That revelation... If that revelation has never come to you, if you say, well, Troy, I, I understand the words. You've got to understand more than the words. And for years, I saw I understood with the words. 
I'd heard this before. I had memorized this. This passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, one of, one of many passages that was in order to be a good Christian, I had to memorize. And so, and one of them was Romans 6, 7, and 8. And so I memorize, I quote this all the time. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may be found? God forbid, how shall we? And I, I just rattle it off. But it never got anywhere than right here. And I was a grown man in my probably late 30s, near 40 years old, before the revelation actually came that I have new life. I have divine life. And you say, well, Troy, I don't always live like I have divine life. Neither do I. Neither do I, but it doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change the fact. But it changed something else. But the, the revelation of this began to change something in me. Because I began to realize Jesus didn't die on a cross and rise from the dead in order that I could just keep muddling on doing the best I can with this old life. That wasn't why He died and rose again. He died so that I could have a new way of living. Now, this is what we call resurrection power. Ephesians, we've been in Ephesians. We took a couple week break here, Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. But in Ephesians, Paul is talking about this resurrection power, how we're able to walk in a whole different way and see in a whole different way. And we haven't even gotten to chapter 3 yet where he talks about he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think according to this power that's at work within us. This is the power of God. It is God's Spirit at work within us. And this resurrection power working in your life and in my life. But what does resurrection power look like? Now see, that's the real question. If resurrection power is at work in your life and in my life because we're in Christ. Now if you're not in Christ, if you haven't trusted Him, you don't believe Him, then you don't have resurrection power. According to Scripture, death is still at work in you. But if you've believed, then you have resurrection power at work. What does resurrection power look like? I'll tell you. It's all over the place when you begin to see it. Resurrection power takes a guy who is so afraid of what people will think and what others will think of him that he publicly denies the person that he loves and admires the most in the whole world and says and curses and says, I don't know him. And resurrection power takes that same individual just a few short days later and as we stand before thousands and say, you know, that one that you crucified, that one that I was ashamed to even acknowledge I knew, he, by the way, he was the Son of God. And you killed him, but he rose. And he's alive today. That's resurrection power. Resurrection power takes a couple guys who, just a few months before, said, Lord, would you just call down lightning and kill these guys? Just, I mean, they're, they're bothered, they're pissed. Would you just take care of them? And it would take in a matter of just days. It would change them to the point they'd be willing to go out and declare who Jesus is and even to the point of losing their own life for these very people that earlier they said, Lord, just kill them. Just get rid of them. Resurrection power looks like a story I heard this week of a couple whose adult child was hurt deeply. Hurt deeply. And the person who did the hurting, it was in their power to hurt that individual. To get some payback. A little revenge. 
And everybody would understand if they would. If they did. And yet, the Spirit of God at work in them, the power of God at work in them, to be willing to say, you know what? I think God wants us to respond in a different way. And rather than giving this individual who hurt our child and who we want to retaliate against, rather than giving them what we think they deserve, resurrection power in, in, in us says we should bless rather than curse. We should give what's not deserved. We should give over and above. When resurrection power is at work like that, it causes the person who did the harm to be able to look and say, what are you doing? To be moved by the power of God in two ordinary people who would say, you know what, I have every reason to dislike you, to hate you, and to want harm to come to you. And yet, there's a power at work in me that says, bless you instead. Resurrection power, as I reminded one of my children this week, resurrection power says, I can be a friend to you even when I'm not feeling friendly. That's resurrection power. Resurrection power says, even though I have been hurt deeply, I can forgive, I can release, I can let you go. Now, I don't have that power in my old life. My old life doesn't have that kind of power. And most of the time, if you go around and ask folks, including Christians, and you tell them your story about how somebody has hurt you and how bad they have been to you, how they have mistreated you, and you tell them their story, they say, you know what, you need to get even with them. They deserve whatever bad comes to them. Even Christians will tell you that. Why? Because we're still operating in the old life. We're thinking in the old way. Jesus said, I came to give you new life. My mentor used to call it second mile witnessing. You ever heard that term, second mile witnessing? The story Jesus tells in the Scripture is of a Roman soldier hated Roman soldier. The Jews didn't, they were their oppressors. The Jews didn't like them. Under the law, a Roman soldier could compel a Jewish citizen to carry his pack, his burden, which was heavy, could carry it one mile in any direction. And so he'd just pick you. Didn't matter what you were doing, where you were going, what you had planned that day, a Roman soldier could stop you and say, hey, take my pack and carry it. And you were required by law to carry it one mile in any direction. Jesus, as he's teaching them, he says, if, if one of these soldiers compels you to take it one mile, take it two. Take it two. Jesus, you don't understand who we're talking about here. These are the Romans. These are our oppressors. They're cruel. They're mean. They, they don't care anything about us. We want to overthrow them. Matter of fact, we were hoping you were going to be the one to help us do that. And Jesus says, no, carry it two. My mentor used to say, Troy, what do you think they talked about in that second mile? What do you think the first question was of that Roman soldier in, as they began that second mile? So I would suppose, why are you doing this? He said, that's why it's called second mile witnessing. Because in the second mile, you can tell them about new life, resurrection power, and a God who died for us so that we might have it. doesn't often happen in the first mile. What's mandatory? What's duty? What's, what's obligatory? Now, again, don't hear me say, please don't hear me say, 
all right, pastor said I got to do some second mile witnessing and I got to go over and beyond. So I'm going to this week, I'm going to go over. I don't really like this person, but I'm going to do something nice for him. Well, maybe the Holy Spirit would tell you to do that, but don't do it because I said so. All right. Don't create a list and start checking off and thinking like me. Oh, man, I'm ready for my gold star. I'm doing pretty good this week. No, this new life is within. This new life is his life inside of me. That says you can live differently. You can live without prejudice and hate. You can forgive instead of being bitter and holding a grudge. You can love someone even when they're not doing exactly what you think they should be doing at that very moment. You can still love them. This is resurrection power. Now the question is, am I going to stop with Jesus on the cross? Or am I going to go all the way through the weekend till the time when he comes out of the tomb? And because he lives, I too can live. Not just in heaven with him. That's great and wonderful. I can live in his power now. Now. One of the reasons that we gather together, you say, you know, you want people to come to church because it makes you feel good as a pastor. No, it really doesn't. What makes me feel good as a pastor is God's revelation of this to us and we challenge and encourage one another to live in this resurrection power that is ours. That's what encourages my heart. It's one of the reasons we gather together. It's one of the reasons we do smaller gatherings together and small groups. It's the reason we pray together. It's the reason we live life together to remind one another because it's easy to go back and live an old way of life. It's not hard to go there because we still have His flesh. Paul said this really clearly. The same section of Scripture, matter of fact, the next chapter over, he's saying the good that I want to do, I don't do that. Because I have this new life in me and it wants to do the right thing. It wants to respond to the Spirit of God and do what God would desire in every situation. That's in me. At the same time, this flesh says, I don't want to do that. I want to do what feels comfortable and right, what makes sense. And Paul said, who shall deliver me from this body of death? That's the end of chapter 7. And then he says, but praise be to God. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. They walk in a new way of life. A new way of life. I'm going to ask Lori to come and begin to play. And as she's doing that, I want to remind you of something. Brendan Manning wrote a number of books, all of them about grace and the love of God. And, and Brennan had a struggle all of his life, especially in his younger life and middle age. He was an alcoholic. He was also a priest. He was also a man who loved God, sought God. If you read any of his work, you hear, you'll, you'll see the struggle that he had in all this. Lord, I want to walk in this newness of life, in this new way of life. 
but you know I'm a drunk. In his books, Brennan talks about an encounter with God unlike anything he'd ever known. In his latter years, Brennan quit drinking, but it wasn't because he decided to quit drinking. It wasn't even because he went to the right support system. He had an encounter with the living God. And God spoke something to his heart, and he would say it all the time. If you heard him preach, if you read any of his books, you would see this. Because God brought this revelation to him. God loves you just the way you are, not the way you're supposed to be, because none of us are what we're supposed to be. When that revelation goes deep, and I quit focusing on how I'm going to correct my sin issue, and I'm just going to constantly respond to the living God, and say, God, how do you want to work in me in this area? And his life begins to flow through me. Two things will happen. I promise you, I know from experience, two things will happen. Number one, you will discover power you never knew. I'll tell you the other thing will happen. You'll discover a God that you never knew. That's the reason I believe that Paul said in Philippians 3, Lord Jesus, I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. And then whatever suffering comes along with that, it won't matter. It won't matter. Because I know you and the power of your resurrection. It's available today. If you don't know Jesus, then the cross what He did on the cross, the payment for your sin, it's available to you today. Many of you here understand that. You've responded to that message. But the resurrection, the empty tomb today declares there is a newness of life for you and me. Now, how do you have it? Jesus told Mary and Martha in John 11, I am the resurrection life. He who believes in me never dies. They have life and they never die. And then he looked at him and said, do you believe this? Do you believe it? I'm going to ask you today, do you believe it? He's the resurrection and the life. He's not just the payment for my sin, but he's a new way of living. It's not me trying to live a new way. It's his life, his divine life at work in me, transforming me yours. It's mine. It's the resurrection. Lord Jesus, today, I would imagine in this room there are people like me. They've believed that you're the Son of God. They believe that you died for their sin. They believe that you took 
all of their guilt, all of the penalty on the cross. But Lord, they may also be like me, having believed that the constant focus of their life is sin and sin management. You did not call us to sin management. You called us to a new way of living. Lord, help. Help us. Because some today will hear what I'm saying and they'll, your spirit, you're stirring in them. You're, you're, you're creating a desire in them for more, which is what you do. And they'll interpret that more as I need to go to try harder. I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to share more. Lord, all of those things are fine. But it's amazing to me that the early disciples didn't have a Bible to read. I mean, how did they do devotions? They didn't have a Bible to read, and most of them couldn't read if they had one. And yet they turned the world upside down. Why? Because they had new life. How did the Apostle Paul make it when he didn't have Paul to read? Lord Jesus, You were His life. And so, reading our Bible is not bad, but Lord, we've substituted the things that we do for You rather than just being with You. And because of it, we don't live in newness of life. We live in the deadness of ritual, duty, God, I'm praying today. I'm praying. You take us to the place where you took those early believers. Where everything flows from this place of just being with you and having newness of life operating in us. And Lord, when we mess up, we don't try harder to prove that we're serious. We just run back to you and say, Jesus, we messed up. But that's not, that's not your life. That's my life. That's the old way of life. Lord, I want to live in your new life, a new way of living. Lord, that's not your thought. That's an old way of thinking. Those are not your words, Jesus. Those are from an old life. I want to put those to death. I want to die to those. I want to live in newness. If the Spirit's stirring your heart this morning and you know Jesus Christ and you want to live in newness this morning, would you tell Him, I want to live in newness. I want to live in your newness. A new way of living. And you say, well, Troy, I've already experienced that. That's great. Have you experienced it all? I haven't. I want more. I want more of this new way of living. In every area of my life. Lord, all over this room, would you stir the hearts of your people that there is more. There is more. The resurrection means there's more. There's life abundant. There's life glorious. There's life overflowing. There's life miraculous supernatural 
there is divine life that is ours. shared this before and it's stirring in my heart and I care so much that 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 you and I received the revelation of this my dad died of cancer um, about 10 years ago soon be 11 actually I remember being with him the months before he died. My dad, um, he was a, a, a Bible teacher most of his life. He knew the Word. He'd been in church and served in all kinds of ways. And, and I had no doubt that he knew Jesus. He knew who Jesus is and believed that he died for his sin. But I remember in those months before him, we'd be sitting there talking, and I'd say, Dad, what do you do when you're here in this bed for so many hours in the day? He goes, well, I listened to the Scripture. He had James Earl Jones reading it to him. Almost sounds like God talking to you when James Earl reads it, you know. And he said, then I lay here, and I ask God to show me what it is that I've done, what I've done wrong, so that He can heal me. And I pleaded with my dad. I prayed with him. I went to the scripture with him. I said, Dad, there is, at times, I think, consequences in our life because of sin. I don't doubt that. But do you understand that the gift of righteousness is just that? It's a gift. And he died. I don't know that he ever had that revelation. I don't want you to die without having that revelation. The gift of righteousness is just that. It's a gift. You don't earn it. You don't work harder to procure it. Jesus loves you just as you are, not as you're supposed to be, because none of us are as we're supposed to be. And if you want to go down that path, what did I do wrong? The bad that's happening in my life is because I did something wrong. There's always something you did wrong. There's always something I did wrong. I mean, God would have multiple things to choose from in our life. He treats us as sons, not as slaves. As daughters, not as slaves. As friends, not as enemies. You say, well, then why do the bad things happen in our life? I don't know all the reason why bad things happen in our life. I do know this. Jesus still loves me no matter what happens in my life. That I know. You know why I know that? Because of newness of life. That's why I know that. Receive it today. If you've never received it, receive it for the first time. If you've heard this message your whole life, you know the gospel message, but you haven't walked in newness of life today. Today. Say, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you not only died for my sin, but you died so I could walk in newness of life. 
receive it. I receive it. Would you stand? We're gonna they're gonna close this in a song. I don't even know what Lori's playing. What are you praise the name? That's a good one. That that works. I'm going to ask my prayer partners, if you would, right now, could you move around just different places in the sanctuary here at the front, along the side, wherever? You see these folks moving right now? They're prayer partners, so you can figure out what their job is. They pray. They pray with people. They pray for people and with people. When we dismiss in just a moment, there's something in your heart. You say, I need somebody to pray with me. I don't know what this is, but God's doing something in me, stirring something in me. I need somebody to pray with. That's what they're here for. Don't leave without letting us have the privilege of praying with you. Again, no judgment, no condemnation, no sizing you up or trying to fix you. We're going to go with you to the throne of grace where we find help and mercy where there's newness of life at the throne of grace. So let us pray with you. Lord Jesus, again, we praise you and thank you for who you are and that you didn't just die for our sin, but you gave us new life. New life, abundant life, overwhelming life, life that's over and above anything we could have ever imagined. So Lord, we give you praise. Would you bless each one here today? I pray that as we leave this place, we would leave knowing you and knowing that we know you. But Lord, we'd also leave knowing that we have life in your name. And it changes the way we live our everyday life. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen.